Okay, there's a red light. I'll just keep talking. Ah, oh, there we are. You can hear me. Hang on. I thought I was better off with this than trying to mess around with the microphone and pages as well, but we never know, do we? Okay. Whoa. It's nice to be here. Oh, goodness. I'm gonna, I decided I was going to read what I've written um, because Steve said you've got 15 minutes and I could waffle for 45 minutes quite easily. It's true, it's true. So I'm going to read it so that I actually do stick to the amount of time that I've been given. Um, yeah, I really like testimonies because they encourage me and I think as a person who's quite nosy, I quite like, sorry, I quite like hearing about other people's stories and how God has spoken into other people's lives. So uh, when Steve asked me to do the life first, my initial answer was to say no, as Steve will tell you. I said, no, no, I can't do that, sorry. Um, but I said, I'll think about it. And then after a week of thinking, should I or shouldn't I, and praying about it, I thought, um, yeah, I will do it. It was clear to me that God wanted me to speak about this verse. And it's Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And it goes, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, it's quite a familiar verse. We've all probably heard it before. But it's spoken to me quite a lot. So I thought I'd talk a bit about how this verse has helped me to be courageous and strong over the years. And in particular, regarding a couple of hard situations that I have found myself in. And then at the end, I'm going to talk about, uh, going to give us something for us to think about. Um, and see, something that I believe God wants us to take away with us today. Um, I came from a family where I was the only Christian and I grew up being sent to church, probably because my mum would like to get rid of me for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. But I did know <clears throat> that God loved me. At home we are fed on a diet of karma and the idea that God was like Santa. So everyone in my family knew that he existed, but it was like he would reward you when you were good and punish you when you were bad. Um, like a parent, but I was very um, strongly told that he saw everything um, and my position, I've got two younger sisters, and I was quite rebellious. And that's still something that my family will tell you about me now. Um, and I was quite naughty. Um, so God was only mentioned in our family to remind us that he was watching. But I knew he loved me on some level when I was a child. Um, and as I grew, I found myself being drawn to older women who were ahead of me in their walk with Jesus. And I've learned a lot from that, from being drawn to older people and people ahead of me in this game. But sadly, during my teenage years, I abandoned God and I spent my, a lot of my time hanging about in the park and smoking and probably being a right nuisance. Um, I went back to church when I had my first child, Joshua, because I wanted him to experience what I had experienced as a child. Um, I had my second son, Callum, and when my boys were small, I was a member of my local Anglican church. And again, there were lots of people, older people, who showed me God's love and I continued to grow a bit in him. However, my second child... My daughter was stillborn um, then, and uh, even all the, through the hard and horrible times, that I knew that God would get me through those things, those horrible times, and that God had a plan for me. And it was the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. Um, it took real courage to carry on when all I really wanted to do was shrivel up in a corner and be on my own. And in order to function, it became the first time in my life where I had to really totally rely on God to get me through it. I couldn't do it on my own. And although I was grieving hard, God helped me and his word comforted me. And gradually, I began to see a new way of living, of trying to put myself first, him, myself last and him first. Um, being the only Christian in my family, it was quite a battle for me. I was working and I was the busy mum of Joshua and later his brother Callum. Um, and I really liked being a mum. Um, we were part of a 
local church. We were involved in all sorts of stuff, Sunday school and holiday clubs um, and all sorts of things. We were really busy uh, with church. The verse, be bold and courageous, do not be afraid. That was one of the first verses that I learned. Um, my memory's not very good. I'm not great at learning and remembering Bible verses. I tend to write them out so that I can go through them. But I learned that because we used to sing it as a song in Sunday school. I don't know if any of you know that song. But, um, yeah, Steve can sing it for you later. I'm not about to sing it for you. <laughs> but, yeah, we used to sing it as a song. So it used to constantly remind me that I needed to be bold and I needed to be strong. And that last bit, the bit I'm with you wherever you go, changed during my early adulthood from something scary that God was watching, like Big Brother, to knowing his presence and to really knowing that he was there for me. And on some level, knowing that he loved me and accepted me, even though I was a flawed human who rarely got things right, he still loved me. And I was accepted just as I am. And that was, and it still is, an amazing truth that speaks to me and allows me to accept myself. The loss of my daughter, Ashley, um, as you can probably imagine, had a profound effect on me. In her short, unborn life and death, she taught me the more than any other person has. Through her death and birth, I learned how to rely on Jesus because I had to. There wasn't a person on earth who could help me with my grief. My family don't do feelings and emotions, and how much I needed him was a big lesson to me. I learned that I wasn't Wonder Woman, um, and I began to realise that I needed to take my cape off and let him in. And for all of this, as I began to lean on him, he began to develop the gift he's given me of being able to get alongside other people and to help them. Through using this gift over the years, I've been really blessed more than I could have ever imagined. And I think it's fair to say here that if I'm ever sad or upset, if I do something for someone else, it always makes me feel better. Um, I believe that our trials that we go through are our teachers and they present us with choices, choices where we can go one way or another. With God in my life, I can have a choice. I can either wallow in the pity of the hard things, I can use the things that hurt to help other people and propel me to go forward in this life that I've been given. Charles Spurgeon said that trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soul and let us see what we are made of. And if we get defensive in our trials, whatever they may be, we might miss an opportunity to see God or to learn from him and to really lean into him. We need courage to go to him and say, okay, I'm here. What are you teaching me from this situation I find myself in? And then on from that, how can you help me to use this for your glory? I come from a family that's quite materialistic. Things like we weren't allowed to put posters on our wall because we'd spoil the wallpaper. And possessions are really highly thought of, especially if they cost lots of money. And I've never really been into that, but I do recognise that I had a tendency, or had a tendency, to put more value on things, earthly things, than I should have. But the loss of Ashley gave me a real insight into what's really important in this world. And although it was a hard time for me, Jesus used it to show me what's really important and to change me into someone who wanted to live for him. It took courage for me to change, but I knew that God had a plan for me and he would be with me, helping me to do what he wanted me to do. It also helped a great deal that God made me an optimist. My glass is usually half full, not empty. My default position will usually be what's good rather than what isn't, and I'm thankful for God for that aspect of my personality. To mature spiritually, I've needed to be able to acknowledge what's not good about me, which at times has been really painful, in order to repent and grow in him. Philip Yancey says that awareness of our impurity opens the doors to God's grace, and I've certainly found that to be true in my life so far. Sadly, although my sinful nature means I can be defensive and resist change, God has given me courage to face many things over the years, and it's absolutely his love which has been the vehicle for that change. So, 
In my brokenness after Ashley died, I remember, sorry, managed to put my life back into some order, but I felt that I needed to work with people. At that time, I was working nights in a bank clearing checks, and I was really good at it, and it paid really well, but I was really dissatisfied, and I didn't feel like I was meant to be there. So I decided to bite the bullet and train as a social worker. And that was something that got interrupted by um, a mini counselling course during one of the breaks in my open university study. Um, to fund myself, I became a carer, and I, I really loved that job. It was something, I mainly put people to bed, and I learned so much through that job about people and the struggles. And I also learned that I was really able to deal with people and to love them. So my counselling studies continued, and I worked in a home for people with dementia, and then I ended up teaching English to people with mental health issues. And God taught me loads of things through those jobs, but the thing that I learned the most was that I can be of value and helpful to others and that he can use me. When I became a counselling student, I did that because I liked the model of counselling. I wasn't going to be a counsellor, I just quite liked the idea of it. But gradually I began to see there was a lot of things about me that needed to change, and again, God helped me to work through these things with the help of an amazing Christian counsellor. Studying was hard for me because I come, I come from a working class, non-academic type of background, but I persevered and I qualified as a counsellor and then I ended up undertaking a degree and teaching counselling and psychotherapy. But the most rewarding bit for me about being a teacher was helping my students with their struggles. It's lovely to be believing people and to see them flourish and I'm privileged to have played quite a big part in some really great therapist journeys. And today I'm really blessed to be able to work as a therapist myself. I have a massive privilege being helping people and people share things with me that they wouldn't share with anything else and I get to be the keeper of secrets and the encourager of souls and how amazing that the God I love so much has blessed me with such wonderful gifts that I can help to use people and it's always it's wonderful that he he used my grief and the pain I went through to teach me that I can do this I wouldn't have learned that without that pain that I went through and he helped me to develop those gifts into something that I can use for him Sometimes I have to be brave just to believe what God says about me. Fear can overtake me. And when that happens, it's easier to stay in what could be called my comfort zone, to hang on to the familiar, even if it isn't godly, rather than to be obedient and reach out and believe that through him I can be or do whatever he wants and what he has planned for me. Sometimes for many of us, being strong and courageous might mean putting one foot in front of the other, taking each day one hour at a time and doing your best to believe that the King of Kings, your loving Father, really does love and have the best plans for you. One of the hardest times that I have experienced in my life and relied on Jesus is, for the most for is when my sons were both in the army and they went to Afghanistan. There are tours of Afghanistan which are really safe, jobs where one would stay on Camp Bastion and not have to venture out. My sons, however, like to push themselves and they both went on bomb disposal tours. Exactly. <laughs> Many times people have asked me, how could you let your sons join the army? But it wasn't my place to tell my sons what to do. And to be honest, one heard an army careers talk at school and he was hooked. And although it wouldn't have been my choice for him, I believed it saved, saved him from a life of other things that wouldn't have been good for him. And then the other followed when he was a bit older. It was a harrowing experience every time, having those conversations with them about what they wanted me to do if they died. Joshua and I used to joke about it quite a lot. It was, it was quite a funny thing, we had some plans. But Callum took it all more seriously. Whilst Joshua was in Afghanistan, um, his friend, Matthew Smith, who was, he was really good friends of him, he was like his counterpart with, his, with another troop, um, he got shot and killed while he was dismantling a sang a roof, a roof of something. Um, it could have easily been Joshua and his men who were sent to do that job that day, 
but it was Matthew. And he, it's, he left behind four small children. It's like tragic, but I knew how much it hurt Joshua, how close he'd been to Matthew. But all I could do was pray. There wasn't a lot of communication between him and I at, the, at that time because he was stuck there. And um, I prayed a lot. But having Jesus to ask to look after him was such a comfort to me. I wanted many times to dissolve into fits of worry and fear, but I knew I had to be strong. And obviously, I got this strength from Jesus. While he was there, I was obviously worried about his safety. Time and again, God reassured me that he was all right and that he would bring him home safely and that I didn't need to worry. His reassurance was a gift to me at that time. I had so many bad dreams while he was there. I would often wake up to find myself in the middle of a dream where I was answering the door to uniformed men who'd come to deliver the worst news to me. And I also dreamed a speech I would give at his funeral so many times that I knew it by heart. Obviously, it was my anxiety. And to a certain extent, it was to be expected given what my son was doing. However... When I was awake, I was confident that God would keep him safe like he told me he would. Putting my trust in Jesus really did make this time so much easier than it would have been if I didn't have him to lean on. Again, when my younger son Callum was there, he was on the bomb disposal operation too, but he went with the SAS, not a regular troop, typical. It was a dangerous tour to go on. Because of where he stayed, which was basically on an unguarded mountaintop, he had the privilege of email. And he and I emailed each other very regularly throughout the six months he was there. I prayed for his safety, and again, God gave me a peace about it. It wasn't an easy thing to hear what he was going through. But again, God was there to carry me, and it's a miracle that he's okay now. One day, I got a call from him that his friend had been blown up four paces away from him. I actually nearly fell over when I took that call when he was saying those words to me. It was so shocking. His friend didn't die, but he did lose his leg, and he was really seriously injured. But he's okay now. Hearing my son describe how he was literally picking bits of his friend off his uniform the next day was harrowing, to say the least. Again, I prayed and prayed for his safety and for my own peace of mind. And time and time again, God reminded me that he would be okay and I just needed to rely on him. I knew this would affect my son deeply and that he was already fragile from what he'd been through. I knew I had to be strong for him and be strong and courageous. And that verse just fed me as I was worrying and as I was praying and as I was hoping that my son would come home and come home okay. But I knew God was looking after me, and I also knew he was looking after him. Thankfully, Mark Callum got through a resulting post-traumatic distress disorder that he came back with, with some expert help. But now, having left the army four years ago, like his brother, he's successful, happy, healthy, and strong. So I have a lot to thank God for. To finish, I just want to share a little bit about my personality, about who I am as God made me. And as I've already said, I like to encourage people, which is a bit ironic because I don't really come from a place where encouragement is much of a thing. My family generally focus on all the bad stuff about a person. They don't remember good things about you or things that they're not very complimentary. If you ask them about me, I can tell you what they'd tell you. They'd say that I talk a lot, I'm forthright and I break things. (laughs) Probably true, but that's okay. They probably wouldn't mention, though, that I can be kind or I'm generous and I'll usually try to help anyone if I can. Their culture is kind of one of a put-down, not a lot of build-up. In Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul tells us to encourage each other and build each other up. And I believe this is a fundamental part of being a Christian. So often we're caught up in our own lives and what's going on for us, but we're called to take notice of each other and build each other up. Sometimes I wonder, though, if we think that some people seem to have it all sorted and don't need encouraging. So I wonder, or imagine, if some people might think a 
about me because obviously I'm an extrovert and I'm fairly confident and I'm a bit out there that I'm okay. Uh, a recurring thing people often say to me is, oh, it's all right for you. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it's definitely been said to me quite a lot of times. I imagine it might be all right for me because I look like I might have got it all together, like I don't worry or get anxious about things. But actually, and you might not know this about me unless you know me very well, I'm really quite sensitive. My personality is extrovert, but also sensitive. It's an odd combination, and sensitivity is often seen like a negative in our society. People like who might get upset or not be able to take a joke. But it's just part of my personality that God gave me, and it enables me to understand and get alongside other people and connect with them on a level that I can really feel what things might be like for them. So in other words, it means I don't have to try too hard to be empathic, which is useful in my job. Sometimes things can be hard with a sensitive personality. Mostly I'm over it and I no longer get hurt by things, but I know that people have their own struggles, that what us humans present with on the outside so often doesn't match what's going on the inside. What I nearly gave in to when deciding if I should do this or not was before I heard God reminding me to be brave for him, was that a little voice as the enemy telling me I'm no good and no one will want to listen to anything I've got to say. But we're often so busy focusing on ourselves that we forget to think about each other. And in doing so, we miss opportunities to be a blessing to someone. And to that effect, I'd like to encourage us all to step out and maybe to offer some encouragement to each other this week. After all, if we're stepping out of our comfort zones, we can be sure, because of this verse, that in fact, the Lord our God will be with us wherever we go. And we couldn't ask for more than that. Thank you, Bev. Thank you, Bev. That was amazing. I got those, you know, those moments in the back of your neck and the, in your gut when you hear what's been happening with our sons and stuff like that. God is good. And these great promises. And at the same time, when Bev said what verse she was going to be sharing from, Olivia, just show them. It's the same verse. God's speaking over and over again, even this, earlier this morning about I can do all things through Christ. There's a message. God's trying to speak to us this morning. There you go. So God brought it into the morning anyway. There you go. So we've got lots to respond to, lots to pray for, lots to thank God for, but... We're going to hear from Lou first, and at the end, we're just going to spend a bit of time just seeing what God wants to say to us, each of us, in a quiet moment of reflection. But Louise, you're going to use this microphone, are you, mate? Lovely jubbly. Thank you, Bev. Well done, mate. Louise, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. That was really great, Bev. Loved it. And I'm really grateful to Bev for being that woman with way more experience than me that I turn to. So thank you for that, Bev. Um, so when I became a Christian a bit less than 18 months ago, I was reading my way through the New Testament. So the verses I'm focusing on today are ones that I read very early on in my Christian journey. And I remember being instantly struck by them because I love words and the way they sound when they're put together really well. And these verses sound beautiful to me when they're read out loud. So that's probably the reason they stuck with me, um, which has turned out to be a good thing because they've played in my head many times over the past 18 months and have really helped me learn to walk with Christ and to understand that walk a little bit better. 
Um, The verses are from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, which I will read. Um, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, for those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus, there is nothing now or in the future, um, there is nothing on earth or in the spirit realm, nothing in death or that takes place in our lives. Indeed, there is nothing ever created that any of us can imagine that could ever separate us from the love of God. The love of God is in Jesus and in what he did for humanity when he died and rose again. I feel a massive sense of relief when I read those verses because pretty much as soon as I became a Christian, I felt like everything was separating me from God. Now, I've heard that some new believers get a kind of Christian honeymoon period where they're all full of joy and enthusiasm and like, yeah, Jesus. Um, But that wasn't me. I found being a Christian deeply difficult from pretty much day one. I experienced a lot of spiritual attack in the form of constant doubt and anxiety and feelings of hopelessness. I've got a highly analytical brain and that became my enemy because I was constantly distracted by questions that I couldn't work out about Christianity and doctrine And I was so distracted that I couldn't pray or read the Bible or do anything to actually help myself. It was extremely difficult and I was totally unprepared for it because I had no idea that in becoming a Christian I was entering a battleground. I've often described it like standing in the sea and being pummeled by those massive waves that knock you on your back and then trying to get back up again, but the sand and the stones are shifting around and then another wave has sort of taken you over before you've even got time to get back up to your feet again. Sometimes I could stand for a while and take a couple of hits, but mostly I was on my back spluttering. But even when this was going on, those verses would ring in my ears and give me hope that there was nothing that could separate me from the love of God. And I think that helped me to just carry on walking um, towards Christ, even though I wasn't really feeling it a lot of the time. Those words felt like a promise. You feel separated, but you are not. And I think part of feeling connected to God's love in that time as well was um, Romans 8:28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I think we got a big sense of that in in Bev's talk as well, I just had this sense that even though I felt a mess, I felt like everything was a mess, that God was going to make something out of it. Um, And, you know, many of you will know that I came from a background in the New Age, and I'm sure that's why I experienced a spiritual attack I did, but I'm also sure that God has a plan for that. When all the New Ages come saved, spilling through the doors of the beacon. I'll be ready for them. Um, (laughs) So God has been taking me on a wonderful and, of course, highly challenging learning journey about many things since I became a Christian, um, including the things that might create a sense of separation from him. 
So I'm just going to talk about two of those um, in relation to the Romans 8, 38 and 39. Otherwise, we'd be here a very long time because I have had a lot to learn. Um, so the first thing is about my tendency to turn away. The experience of spiritual attack led me to wonder how much is it my responsibility not to be separated from God and how much might God keep hold of me or cling to me? Um, now, obviously, God showed me that, as in any good relationship, I do have responsibilities. And I remember Ephesians 6 being highlighted to me, put on the full armor of God. So, you know, God has been showing me what it means in a very practical sense in my life and circumstances to put on armor and be ready. Um, however, I was also given a really helpful image of myself and my daughter, Maya, who was two then. And so she was always reaching out to be picked up. And I was always reaching down to pick her up. Um, and I just felt that God used that to speak to me and show me that although my relationship with him is two-way, he is always reaching out to me. He is the perfect parent, never too busy, never too distracted, never saying, hang on a minute, I need a cup of tea. Um, he is always reaching down to me. However, I am not always reaching back. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that, that he's slowly revealing to me, but apparently I'm very stubborn and petulant. Um, who knew? Um, and this brings me back to the verse, I think, because on God's side of this relationship, there is perfection. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. So I need to acknowledge that sometimes when he feels distant, it's because I'm not reaching back. I need to be more like two-year-old Maya and constantly show the trust and vulnerability required to reach up and reach out to him. When Ollie read through this for me last night, he, um, he reminded me of uh, Matthew 18, verse 3, you know, about come, come like little children. Um, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, yeah, I thought that was nice. And the second big learning curve for me has been around seeking happiness. It feels like happiness is the goal of our culture these days. And there's nothing wrong with being happy, obviously, but... Prior to becoming a Christian, I had totally bought into the idea that happiness was my primary goal, and I'd achieved it, or at least I felt like I had. Um, happiness to me meant living peacefully with Ollie and the kids, and we had that, and obviously life wasn't without its difficulties, but I did feel happy. I was one of those people that didn't know there was a hole until God had filled it. So it was a huge challenge for me when I became a Christian and discovered that it didn't make me happy. And actually, I felt far more rubbish than I had done before. Now, given what utterly brilliant news the gospel is, it's hard to believe that I could feel that way, but I definitely did. Firstly, I think there was an issue of identity, and this makes me cringe because I hate to think of myself as someone hugely concerned by what other people think of me or the way that they perceive me, but I've learned a lot about my shortcomings in the past 18 months, and apparently this is one of them, because I was annoyed that out of all the things that I could have become, I had become a Christian. 
<laughs> I hated the look of shock and disappointment on people's faces when I would tell them. The way conversations dry up when you mention your friend Jesus. I mean, maybe it's something about the way I say it, I don't know. Um, one of my friends actually said to Ollie and I, not you two. You know, just this utter horror that we would, that we would become Christians. Um, in the world that I inhabited prior to becoming a Christian, there is no high status attributed to Christianity. There was, there was no, you know, there was no external motivation to become one at all. And on top of this, I'd been going through life in a bit of a bubble, focused on the happiness and well-being of my family. And then I became a Christian, faced with the reality of my own brokenness in a way I never had been before. And I could see the brokenness in everyone all around me and in the wider world. And I just found myself looking around thinking, what a mess, and just feeling utterly depressed about it. So I'd think, well, I must be doing Christianity wrong then because it isn't making me happy. And I would pray because, you know, I just wanted these uncomfortable, horrible feelings to go away. And then instead of making me feel better, I felt God tell me, you have been two-dimensional, only really able to feel and accept certain feelings. By helping you to see the reality in yourself and in the world, I'm making you multi-dimensional. And I had this sense of how much more I would have access to and how much more useful I was going to be for this experience. Um, yeah, a lot of what God does with me seems to be in order to make me more useful. So hopefully <laughs> that will happen one day. <laughs> um, I could see how fragile and shallow my happiness was, that it was based on distorted perceptions of the world and simply on good feelings in the moment, which is actually what the majority of the population are trying to achieve when you look at what's out there. Whereas before, I would seek to get rid of negative feelings by meditating or positively reframing things, I had to accept that I couldn't change the reality of any of the things that were making me feel bad. I am broken. The world is also broken. But I realized that God had shown that he could reach me whilst I was having those feelings and show that he loves me enough to grow me and that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from his love. And I guess that's the mirroring, isn't it, of how God reached down into the broken world and gave us Jesus. And the peace that flows from that realisation makes happiness just look like a really low goal. I think that linked to this is the issue of self-love, which is a real buzzword and distraction in our culture, I think. But I haven't got time to talk about that now, other than to say that I've had a couple of experiences this year that really highlighted to me how changeable and arbitrary other people's opinions, behaviours and feelings towards me can be. And I've been quite hurt by that. And I felt like God said to me, look at how everything in the world shifts around. And I just had th this image like the plates on the earth's surface just shifting around and on top of them were all the things and the people that I'd kind of been using to make myself feel good. And it felt like God was saying, 
Those things are shifting, but you stand on me because I do not shift. I'm not going anywhere. I'm the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And there is nothing, not even, nothing about you that can separate you from my love because of Jesus. So I began um, using the analogy of the sea and waves of attack. And I just have a little story to kind of help me wrap up. Um, so in February, I was at the Turner Art Gallery with Ollie and the kids. Now, my husband's appreciation of the arts is rather different than mine, shall we say. Um, he is far more interested in the beauty of science than he is in the beauty in art and literature. But we happened to be in the art gallery that day, and we were looking out of the window um, towards Anthony Gormley's Another Time sculpture, um, which, if you haven't seen it, is it's just a man, a sculpture of a man standing on the rocks, looking out to sea. And at low tide, he's there on the rocks. At high tide, he's completely submerged. Um, so you might see various bits of him, depending on when you go. Um, but on this occasion, he was waist high in the water. So we were looking at him, and, and Ollie just said, I mean, just look at that. Look at that. I mean... What could anybody ever get from that? I just look at that and I feel nothing. I don't think anything. I don't feel anything. <laughs> Sorry, Ollie. And, um, and I said, well, it's funny that because I was just looking at that sculpture feeling like God's using it to speak to me. Because just look at that statue. He's up to the waist in water and those waves are crashing against him and he just isn't budging. He isn't going anywhere. He is so deeply rooted in that rock that no wave is going to knock him over. And that's the kind of rock that Jesus is. And that's how deeply rooted in him I need to be. So Ollie was just like, fair enough, I guess. I guess maybe some people might get something from the sculpture then. <laughs> But our differences are what keep us interested in one another, so we're very grateful for them. Um, but I think that realisation, as utterly simple as it is, was a real turning point for me. You know, you know, sometimes you just know something, don't you? But then you see it in such a way that it suddenly becomes clearer. And I think that's how it was for me that day when I saw him stood on the rocks. Um, and since then, I have been on my feet a lot more, you'll be pleased to hear. Ollie's definitely very pleased. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely on my feet and a lot more than I'm kind of being knocked over. And then this week, when I was preparing this talk, I just happened to read Psalm 93 verse 4 for the first time, which says, Mightier than the thunders of many waters... Mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. And it just felt like, wow, isn't that what a loving father would do? You know, when you need those words or that confirmation, you know, just like them with Bev's, um, Olivia's lovely card there. Just those, those words of encouragement, you know, like it just, it just felt so perfectly timed. Um, now, I'm a long way from fully accepting or understanding the love of God. But Romans 8, 38 and 39 have brought me closer many times when I've needed them. 
For those of us who follow Jesus, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from his love. God's love is in Jesus, and he is mightier than the waves of the sea. <laughs> well, there's certainly a common thread here. This is about Christianity is not airy-fairy. It's about real life, isn't it? It's about a real faith and a real God for our real everyday lives. And sometimes it takes courage that we find in Jesus and it takes security founded in God's love as well. When we're rooted in that and in him both ways, we have the courage and the ability, the steadfastness to face each day, don't we? Sometimes it'll be hard just to take that next step. Sometimes we need courage just to take another step and do another day. Sometimes we need to be reminded of his security, how strong his love is over us and how he will never leave us or forsake us. We sometimes we need, that, we need to be reminded of that just to face the next day. So just for the last couple of minutes, just before we end, let's just close our eyes. Let's just fix our eyes on the, the King. God is love. That's what Jesus' best friend tells us, John. He tells us God is love. And that will never change. He's never, he, he never even began being love. He always has been. And he will never stop being love. That's who he is. The ultimate. And in that we find an utter security. When we're his, saved into that family through Jesus' sacrifice, we are swept up into that love in a profound way that we can never get to the bottom of. We can find our utter security in standing on that rock we cannot be shaken by the waves that come our way. And as we face the things in life that would naturally give, cause us anxiety, fear, trepidation, worry, we can find the courage in him. He says, I am. You may not be strong enough, but I am. And in me you can depend. I will work all, together all things for good. For my children, I'm going to do that. We can rely on that. This is his truth. This is his word. This is his promise. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask you, help these truths just to seep deeper into our hearts, seep deeper into our very marrow, that it's very easy to walk away from a Sunday and forget what was said. But these are truths that you want to have profound effect on us in our lives from now on. Will you come and do that? Will you just root them, embed them in us? That we can face the rest of today that we can face Monday and beyond with a, fresh, with a fresh renewed vision for who is for us and not against us, who we are standing on, who we are covered by, who is behind us every step of the way, who is alongside us as we walk, who is forging the way ahead and saying, come this way, it's safe. You're the God who goes before and after us. Will you just remind us of that? Let it seep deep into our very being. That it's something we just can't shake off again. We need your help to do that, Lord. So will you do so? In Jesus' name. Amen.